Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers and sisters who say, Father, I need you. I need you in a special way right now. God, I need you to intercede on my behalf. God, I ask you to work and do what I cannot do. And so, Lord, I commit myself to you. I humbly ask for you to work, for you to move, for you to transform, for you to heal, for you to supply, for you to provide. And, Lord, we're asking this according to your riches and glory, knowing that you are sovereign, you are in control, that you see our plight, you know our situation. And so we ask this, Lord, according to the mighty name of Jesus, so that you might be praised, so that you might be glorified. And, Lord, no matter what, we will praise you. And we submit to you in the name of Jesus, our request before you. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. We are in the book of Exodus, and we'll be in Exodus one more week. Today, Matthew Harding, uh, our assistant associate pastor, is going to be preaching with me, and we'll be sharing this message together. And at the conclusion of the service, we'll have a time of commissioning for those who are going out to the new church plant that will begin in the fall. And so we're excited about that, and we will be doing that at the end of the service. But for now, we are in Exodus 32, and next week, as I said, we will complete uh, this series on Exodus, we'll talk about the furnishings of the temple. You might be thinking, oh boy, that sounds great. Uh, but it really is exciting. I want you to understand that and understand the foreshadowing of, the, of Christ and of the gospel. And so as we look at uh, the, the, the tabernacle next week, uh, it, it will be a great time and a very educational time, I hope, for you. But today we're looking at Exodus 32, the glory of God and the presence of God. And as we look at Exodus 32, I'm reminded uh, on CTV, it's actually an online show that they, they do. You've seen these type of shows where uh, they will, they will kind of film someone uh, and no one knows they're there. They're incognito and they're filming uh, different interactions that people have in certain circumstances. And this particular one, what they decided is they would leave a wallet with cash and credit cards and just a full wallet uh, in the middle of the floor in a supermarket, in a very busy supermarket. And so they filmed people to watch to see how they would respond uh, to this situation. And some would pick it up and look around and see if there was anybody there. But because there were so many people, they, they, uh, they would, they'd put it back down. Uh, some took it to the, to the cash register. Um, a couple of people uh, took it and started to uh, walk out with it, and they saw a police officer or a guard there at front, and they kind of dropped it. It was kind of an interesting scenario, but one in, individual in particular, uh, a man who had a, a, a leg, uh, only had one leg, he had a prosthesis, and he, was, he picked it up, and he looked at it, and he went through it, and he pulled out the cards and looked at it, and then put it back in, and it, and it looked like apparently he had taken the credit card out, and uh, he went and shopped, and he bought all this stuff, got all this stuff. When it came time to the register, he used it. And, um, and so he, and he had quite a large sum of materials and, and, uh, it was a kind of a Walmart target kind of place. And so he had over $300 worth of stuff. And then he took it and, uh, he took it to his car. And so they followed him and they wondered where he was going after he used the credit card. And then it became apparent to the guy who was directing this and cause they had used his wallet that this guy was going to his house. And he wondered, what in the world? Is this guy going to rip me off now that he knows? And so when, he, when, when they filmed him, when he got there, he rang on the door. He was returning the wallet uh, with everything. And it turned out that that gentleman had a credit card just like 
the guy, the director of that, uh, of that, that show, just like he had, and he had been using his own credit card the whole time. But the perception was that he's using my card, that he's ripping me off. And perception versus reality sometimes isn't necessarily the same thing. Sometimes in our culture today, we, uh, we have the misnomer that perception is reality. We listen to the media, we watch television, uh, we look at billboards, and they want you to believe that certain things, if I have these things, I'll be happy. But the truth of it is, is perception, marketing, pictures, media does not equate truth. They're trying to create a reality in which you will purchase their product. In this particular passage in Exodus 32, we kind of know the story of what's transpired. God has called Moses. He's asked him to come and uh, to be his, basically his prophet. He's basically the intercessor. He's the one who acts on behalf of the people and speaks for God. And he goes and announces to the people, to, his, uh, to the Israelites who have been in bondage for 400 years that they're going to be delivered. He goes before the Pharaoh, and after a series of 10 plagues, they're released. And after they're released, he takes them, and Pharaoh soon has a change of heart. He comes after them, and then they're there before the Red Sea. What do we do? And God miraculously opens the Red Sea. The children of Israel go through, and they march through the Red Sea. And then uh, Pharaoh's army attempts to do the same thing, but they are destroyed. Then God provides water. He provides manna uh, as they walk through the wilderness. And God is providing their every need. And then Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the covenant from God, to receive the commandments of God. And, why, and God has spoken these commandments. And as they have, the people have heard them, Moses goes up to receive them as they will be written down by the finger, by the hand of God. And while he's there, he's gone over 40 days. And the people begin to think, Moses isn't coming back. Our intercessor isn't going to be here anymore. And so they create a golden calf. And we talked about this last week. Scholars are all over the board on what did the golden calves symbolize. Many think uh, it was Apis, the, the, the god, one of the gods of Egypt. Uh, but many scholars, many Hebrew scholars, Abraham Sarna being one of them, believed that this was really more to be a pedestal. It was to be an instrument that was to be associated with God, just as many of the other pagan gods would have done. And they would have had different, uh, so to speak, idols or graven images that would represent God. Or maybe it was the footstool of which God would stand, Yahweh would stand. Nevertheless, whatever the situation, we know that God did not want any idols. He did not want any graven images made of him. And so they have broken the law this, at this point. Uh, it has been a great sin, as the Bible calls it. And so Moses comes down and uh, he, he, he breaks the commandments. As he breaks those commandments, that was a picture that this covenant uh, is broken and as he broke that commandment, he, he asked for those on his side, all those who were on the side of Yahweh, come forward and come stand over here. But many did not. And so there was destruction and 3,000 died that day. The commandments that were given as we talked about that a few weeks ago, and I just want to do a refresher course, uh, mainly for this group because I inverted number four and five when we did this a couple of weeks ago. So I, I want to do this as a refresher uh, and as a correction. Okay, we did all the commandments. I just did one of them out of order. But I want to give those to you again uh, because I think it's a great visual, a great lesson for us for the Ten Commandments. Number one, I am the Lord thy God, and you shall have no other gods before me. There is one God and one God alone. We are what we uh, 
uh, call as monotheistic, one God. Uh, you shall not bow to idols or make any graven images. Remember this? All right. Number three, sometimes I had a friend, I remember she used to always do this when she'd say a bad word. She'd put her finger, three fingers over her mouth. Okay. And so I, uh, three fingers, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Four, uh, and this is where I went wrong for this group. I didn't write them next time. But four is, thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. Stop, make a day of worship. Remember the Sabbath. Remember a day of worship. Four, five, salute. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Six, thou shalt not kill. All right? Thou shalt not murder. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Marriage is for two people, not multiple people, okay? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, in some countries they cut your thumb off when you, when you commit crimes. If you steal, certainly in the ancient culture, thou shalt not steal, lest you find yourself in jail, okay? Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie. How many fingers do I have up? I've got nine, okay? Nine fingers, not ten, nine. And thou shalt not covet, Okay? Think you got that? Let's see if you have it real quick. Let's do it one more time. If you have no other gods for me, there's one God. Thou shalt not bow to idols. Okay. Number three, thou shalt not take the Lord's thy name, God's name in vain. Number four, stop, keep the Sabbath, make a holy day. Five, honor thy father and thy mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Seven, marriage is for two. Eight. Thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And ten, thou shalt not covet. All right, so now you have the Ten Commandments. We've reviewed that. Half of you know them. Half of you don't know what we just did, but that's all right. (laughs) As we look at the text now, we are in that spot where the calf has been destroyed. God has said, I'm going to just blot this people out. Uh, of existence. And Moses, I'm going to start with you. I will basically, he's saying, I will make a nation of you. But Moses says, no, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And he intercedes on their behalf. Uh, matter of fact, now this is Ron's interpretation, okay? I, I didn't read that this is Ron's interpretation. You've always heard the story of why did uh, God not allow the children of Israel, uh, excuse me, Moses, to go into the promised land. And, it, and there are various thoughts. On there. We, we know the Scripture talks uh, about some things that Moses did that uh, were not what God wanted exactly. We, we know that happened. But, you know, as I look at it from a foreshadowing as a theological issue, and again, this is just me, uh, as I look at it, you know, Moses interceded for the people, okay? He was a deliverer. He's a foreshadowing of the real Christ who is to come. And what happens to Jesus Christ? He gives his life so that others might enter the kingdom. And Moses intercedes on their behalf. Matter of fact, Moses says in uh, the end of chapter uh, 32 here, he says, look, God, blot me out. Blot my name out if you're not going to take them. Take me out. Basically saying, Lord, let me die. And I, I just see the foreshadowing of what is to come with Christ, and, and I can't help believe that that would be part of it. But as we look at chapter 33, as we come to 33 where we are today here, let's look at this text, and we see that because of their sin, there's a cost, and they have broken fellowship with God. And that's where we pick up right here, uh, as the glory of God 
as God is saying, I, I'm, my glory is not going with you, my literal and uh, personal presence. And that's where we are in chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, and you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt and the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. So God is saying, I want you to part. I want you to go, Moses. Uh, I want you to go ahead and take the people. I've made this covenant. I've made this promise, and I want you to take off. And here's what I'm going to do because of my covenant, because uh, of my greatness. I will send an angel before you. And by the way, this is an angel, a messenger. It's not the angel of the Lord, uh, which is often thought to be uh, a, a theophany or Christophany of Christ. But this is an angel, a messenger uh, before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the mosquito bites and the Jebusites, okay? I'm going to drive them out, and then you're going to go up to land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. So God has said, all right, go ahead and go. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to go, and I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to drive out the people groups who inhabit the land, and you're going to have a land with milk and honey, which was simply a metaphor for land that is lush and rich with much vegetation. The, the, the honey is symbolic of the, the dates and the fruit that will grow wild. It is a great land. It's a great land for, for nomads who had sheep and uh, who would, would have been shepherds, uh, many of them. It's a great land to farm, which would have been nearly the rest of them. And so you've got a great opportunity, and I'm going to drive the people out. And isn't this exactly what a lot of us want in North America today when it comes to God and spirituality? What do we want? This is what we want. We want, or many people would say, I want God to provide for me. I want him to give me a good life. I want him to go for it. I want him to take care of me economically and socially and politically. I want to live in a place that's safe. That's what I want. And whether God is there in my personal life, well, that's all right. Matter of fact, many people would probably say, hey, I make my own decisions. It's like a dream come true for most of North America right here. God's going to provide. He's going to take care of everything, but he's not coming personally. Yes, the presence of God is everywhere. We know God is omnipresent, but we're talking about his glory. We're talking about his personal presence because he said, you know, what? because of your great sin and because of all that I've done, I cannot continue to forgive in, in this situation. I cannot continue to let you live as you are living, and you, as you are to be a light to the nations, or as you are to be the light to the people of all the world. You're not going to be a light, and I can't use you as a light. I will have to consume you or destroy you. I can't go with you. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on their ornaments. Their, their gold and their silver that they brought from Egypt, they're, they're dressing up and they're, they would dress up for worship. And some of the Hebrew scholars even think that it had something, it had a part in playing in worship. But whether it did or not, it was, it was their value, it was their treasure. And for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a, stick, you are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments from the Mount of Horeb onward. And we see at this point that God is speaking. And the people are in a situation where God is saying, I will bless you, but I'll not go with you. 
Matthew. It's like a WWE SmackDown tag team. And that was just the introduction. This morning uh, in Exodus 33, we have a, a scene of desperation. As Ron has just described well, a moment of desperation in Moses' life, a crisis of faith. Can you remember a time in your life where you have faced true desperation? It seems that just these past weeks with all the flooding, we've seen scenes where folks have been in the water and have been desperate to be rescued. As Ron mentioned at the beginning of the service, there might be marriages in here and today because of what's happening in your personal life. Even this morning, you feel a deep sense of desperation. But if God doesn't intervene, where's the hope? Maybe it's been a season when you've been raising your children and you needed God to intervene in your family. Maybe it's been a time when you've lost uh, a job and you weren't sure where the paychecks were going to come in the future and you found yourself in true, utter desperation. I'm a type of a movie buff and I, uh, on my days off, will go see a movie and uh, I saw a movie a couple weeks ago, San Andreas. You've seen it advertised, and I've given you enough time to go see it if you were going to go see it. So, uh, spoiler alert, uh, save your money. Don't go see it. Um, it, uh, it. I went for the special effects, right? I'm, I'm that guy. Special effects are pretty unique. But uh, I just, I'll just do this. The first opening sequence of the movie is a young teenage girl, and she drives off the cliff. And her car is hanging by, of course, a branch on this cliff, and there's sheer doom below her. And she's banged up, and she is in the car and unless something happens miraculous, this young lady's not going to make it. And it's interesting because out of all the things in Hollywood that Hollywood gets wrong, in this moment, this young girl who's banged up, she's in her car, she's pinned, and she's literally hanging over the edge, she starts to pray. And I think that's powerful. Because that... In that moment, that is the right response. In a moment of desperation where there's seemingly no other hope or outside help, unless someone shows up, happens to be the rock, but unless someone does show up, there's no hope. Desperation. And this is what we sense in the very life and ministry of Moses at this juncture. Because Moses had experienced God in a very real way as he called Moses to leadership. And he brought Moses and the people of God through this great rescue from Egypt. And miraculously through the Red Sea. And now providing for them in the desert. And in the person literally giving life in the presence of the camp. And Moses is so discouraged because the people, after having just experienced great rescue and great power and seeing God show up in such incredible ways, what is their response? Is it faithfulness? Is it gratefulness? Is it thankfulness? It's impatience. And how quickly they forgot the moment of their rescue from the Egyptians and the moment of their 400 years of slavery and they run right back into idolatry. And they run right back into being ungrateful and impatient. And Moses' heart is broken. And God, as holy and righteous God, is indignant. 
And God has declared, I will send an angel. I will keep my promise to you and the people. You will go and enter into the promised land as I foretold and promised and as a covenant promise. But I myself will not go with you lest I destroy you, the people, before you even get there. I have the image in my mind of a father turning over in the back of his seat looking at his son and daughter as they're bickering in the back seat saying, don't make me pull this car over. It's not going to go well for you. And here's God saying, if we're journeying to the promised land, people, it's not going to go well for you. So I will give you an angel and you and Moses will go up. But Moses has a very, very desperate response to God here. Because it's interesting because God has promised Moses' ministry. He's given him a great opportunity of leadership. He's even promised and showed, I will give you favor and success. But that's not what Moses wanted. He cried for the very presence of the living God. And this was the cry of Moses' heart. God, it's you. Lord, you're the prize. You're the reason why we're here. Look in your Bibles, if you would, in Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. And listen to the prayer that Moses begs God. Chapter 33, starting in verse 12. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It should be on the screen behind you. Then Moses said to God, to the Lord God, See, you say to me to lead up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Will it be an angel? Which angel? Who's going to go with us? Moreover, you said that I have known you, Moses, by name, and you have found favor, that I, Moses, have found favor in your sight, Lord. Verse 13, so therefore I beg of you, if I have found favor in your sight. Listen to this prayer. Moses says, let me know your ways. Let me know your plan, God. Why? So that I may know you. It's a cry of intimacy. Lord, reveal yourself to me so I can know you. And that I would find favor in your sight. Continue to please you, Lord. And consider, too, that this nation is also your people. In verse 14, God responds, and God says to Moses, My presence will go with you. And that's singular in the Hebrew. It's interesting. It's God's promise to Moses. Moses, it's not going to be an angel. I myself will lead you. And I will give you rest. The rest there is the complete opposite of the anxiety and the stress that Moses as a leader of the people that God has chosen. And the promise of God is to say, I have this and I will lead you and I will not forsake you. And because of your faithfulness, Moses, I will lead you. And the people will benefit. And Moses, in verse 15, says, Lord, for if your presence does not go with us, then please do not lead us up from here. In other words, unless God, you're in the center. Lord, unless you are the very reason, the very presence, your very being among us, Lord, if we don't have that, then we have nothing. 
I wonder if that would be the cry of your heart this morning. That it's not about just success and it's not about simply the opportunity for more. Because here we see in Moses' life, he's experienced great fame and great fortune as the prince of Egypt. He's now in a season of notoriety leading this infamous people, the slaves of Egypt, now out with all the gold, with all the booty, as it were, into this new land that God has promised. And there's so much that God is giving and graciously allowing the new people of Israel, this Jewish race, to enter into a season of blessing. And Moses said, that's really all for naught. If you are not in our midst, you're the prize, Lord. Look at verse 16 as we close. Moses says, For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and I and all of your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we and I, Moses, and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? What a beautiful word this morning. What a beautiful word picture for us this morning. But here's God alive in the word of Exodus this morning saying in 2015 that is just as relevant for us as it was for Moses 3,000 years ago. That unless God is present with us, what will people see that will be any different in my life? How will I be distinguished or set apart or be any different than anyone else in the world if it's not the very presence of the living God? What a challenge this morning. What a challenge this morning to know that God is calling you and God is pleading with you this morning to reevaluate your priorities. As we plant a new church in a couple months, August 23rd, as we launch in Argyle High School, from Rock Point Church, sent out these families in, a, in an area of Argyle, which is mostly rural now. But as we know demographically, the city study is showing that there will be thousands moving to this area. And as we plant this church with these families among us and from us, and we, we start a a whole new work of God in this area at Argyle High School. And we show up and we've got great musicians and great children ministry. We have all these families that are excited and we are ready to go to reach people for Jesus. But listen, if God is not invited, if there is no expectation and preparation for God to be in us and among us and with us, then I don't want to go. And you don't want to sin. And our prayer is that we would get out of the way. And this morning in this service that we would get out of the way so that God has all that he needs in his environment of your heart to work and to move. And that God would be welcome here. Have you prepared your heart for all that God wants to do in your life and to say in your life and to change in your life? Because I don't want to take another step if God is not with me. And the very presence of the living God by the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus Christ, 
that he is not leading me. So I am praying for you, Rock Point Church, a sweet, dear family, my church family these four years. I am praying that even as I transition out this week for a new work in Argyle, that God would move so mightily in this church that I would hear report after report after report that God is at work at Rock Point. And God is moving and people are coming to Christ and people come to church on Sundays and Saturday nights with an expectant heart for God to work and for God to move. That He is welcome in this place. That we have created space for God to do His work. And I beg of you, please pray for us as you send us out into a new work of God that you would beg that that Matthew would get out of the way And that we would create an environment where God would be so welcome to have his way. Because he is the prize. It's about the living glory of God to fall in our midst. That he is worshipped. And that his renown is above all things. Hey listen, when God shows up, we'll never lack for a crowd. When God shows up, we'll never lack for resources. And when God shows up, he is enough to change lives. May that be the prayer and the cry of our heart like it was for Moses. Have you created the space and the time? Do you have an expectant heart that God can and will work in you and within you and through you this week May we pray like Moses. God, show me your way so that I can know you. And by knowing you, I could please you, oh God, in every aspect of my life. May it be so, oh Lord.